You're listening to Indigenous Boom, a podcast by the Atlantic Policy Congress of First Nation Chief Secretariat, featuring conversations on Indigenous health, education, and economic prosperity. Now your host, Krista Thompson. I'm your host, Krista Thompson. I'm the director of the Atlantic Aboriginal Economic Development Integrated Research Program here at APC. And I'm very excited today we're going to be talking to Ulnawag's General Manager, Matt Tapper. So my name is Matt Tapper. I am the General Manager of Ulnawag Development Group. We are an Indigenous uh, financial institution with our main office in Millbrook, Nova Scotia. Uh, I've been uh, working there for the last seven years. Prior to that, I was a development officer with Indian and Northern Affairs Canada in the Aboriginal Business Canada uh, financing program, uh, and I, I worked there for about eight years and uh, went straight into that job straight out of university. So how is everyone at Olnawag managing through COVID times? Yeah, so I mean, COVID's presented a number of challenges to us and, of course, lots of other Indigenous uh, businesses across the region. Um, so for us specifically, we are kind of on a, a quasi back in the office. We're doing kind of a, a rotating schedule to try and limit the number of people that are in the office at any one time so that we have as little kind of cross-contamination and, and almost little mini bubbles within the office. So um, we actually have um, a few different office locations across Atlantic Canada. Um, some are, are our own private offices and, and some are um, office space that we share with other groups. So in, in St. Mary's First Nation, as an example, we, we rent some space from the Joint Economic Development Initiative uh, in their office space. So in a case like that, my staff member there, Brian Hearn, he, he works uh, about 50% of his time from the office and then the other 50% outside the office working remotely. And then the, our main office in Millbrook, uh, we have probably about 10 staff that work out of that building. And um, we are on a kind of a rotating schedule. So, you know, we have a couple staff that do need to be in the office every day for administrative purposes. But beyond that, the remaining staff um, pretty much split their time 50-50, including myself. So um, it's kind of the new way of adapting to all the changes. You know, we've been forced, as many other businesses have, to increase our use of technology in, in a way that makes our working lives a bit easier. And some of the changes have been very positive for us. Um, some have been a little bit of a learning curve. But there's a number of things that even if we get back to, to normal, we'll say, then, you know, if there is a normal um, in the future, um, we'll maintain some of the practices that we have in place currently. And, and we may, may even maintain a lot of the remote working functions that we've, we've built in place thus far. That's great. COVID-19 has really been a challenge for people who have to continue to work through the pandemic. So I appreciate you sharing that information with us um, because I know that we're all, you know, facing some kind of challenge in our daily work. But what I'm really excited about knowing is if you can talk about the supports and services that Olnawag provides the Atlantic Indigenous business community. Yeah, absolutely. So... What I'd like to do really is kind of talk a little bit about kind of what Olmoeg's done um, in response to the impacts that COVID has had on businesses across the region. And then I'll, I'll talk about the different types of 
programs that we've we've launched or become part of uh, in response to that, and then talk just a little bit more about some other programs that we have had been working on anyway that that are moving forward. So once COVID had originally started, um, one of the first things that we did as an organization was we issued a survey to uh, all Indigenous businesses that we had in our database um, from across Atlantic Canada. So that could have been an existing client that's currently on, on the books with us. It could have been a client that was unsuccessful in receiving funding from us, or it could have been a previous client that no longer is on our record. We maintain kind of lists of all those businesses so we can reach out to them. So we sent out that survey to kind of gauge the level of, of impact that was that they were feeling and how short or long-term those impacts may be. So we had a good response to that survey, which we were then able to use that information to help feed into our our national association, which is which is called the National Aboriginal Capital Corporation Association, or NACA, because they were working with the federal government to to access um, emergency operating support program dollars um, to be able to invest in in businesses that needed that that working capital. So so once we received those survey results and fed them in, we became part of the process to help design and develop that program. Um, a lot of people are, are certainly aware of a lot of the other programs that came out from the chartered financial institutions. There's one called the Canadian Emergency Banking Account, or CBA, which had a $40,000 loan um, attached to it, with 25% of it being non-repayable. Um, so our program that came to us, which is called the Emergency Loan Program, is, is identical to that program. And we were able to then offer... To clients a $40,000 working capital loan, 0% interest, with uh, no payments for the first year, and then a three-year repayment program after that, and 25% of that $40,000 uh, would have been non-repayable. So if, if a client received a full $40,000 uh, from their application, then we uh, then they wouldn't have had to repay $10,000 out of that $40,000. Um, beyond that, um, uh, immediately at the start of April, uh, we made the decision because we knew a significant number of our clients were impacted by COVID to put a complete pause on all repayments of loans um, and, and froze the interest charges. So we were no longer charging interest to our clients for the period of April 1st until September 30th. And clients were not required to make any loan payments back to us during that same period of time. Now, some clients still chose to make their loan payments because their businesses weren't impacted, as, as there are still a number of businesses that were operating as successfully as possible. And uh, so some of them still, uh, you know, chose to continue those, those payments, which ended up being a benefit for them. So that, that portion of, of what we were able to offer to our clients has since expired in September. And then, of course, during the summer when we started offering that $40,000 loan program, um, that kind of became the, the next iteration of their ability to access some support dollars to maintain, you know, their business and, and continue to try and become successful or maintain their, their viability long term. Beyond that, starting uh, back in April, we also offered um, uh, access to uh, what we were calling kind of a COVID business support program. So. We, we partnered with a couple of uh, consulting firms. We did a, we, we issued an RFP and we, we received a, a number of bids on that RFP. And uh, we selected a couple 
consulting firms to work with uh, Indigenous businesses, and this could be clients of Old, it could have been clients of Olmaleg, or it could have been any Indigenous business. They did not have to be a client of Olmaleg. We had 57 uh, businesses reach out to us asking for support through that. And what that program ultimately did was it gave them direct one-on-one access to a consulting team of people to help them navigate the challenges they're facing with COVID and then to, to source and access the funding supports that the federal and provincial governments are starting to issue throughout uh, the springtime of 2020. So we're happy that that program is now wrapped up. It's right around the end of uh, September. Um, and, and as I mentioned, there was 57 businesses that took part in that. Uh, as part of that, one of the consulting firms that we selected, which was the Acadia Entrepreneurship Center, part of their their uh, their contract with us was to deliver eight webinars this summer. Um, so they delivered eight webinars, um, and we had you know varying levels of, of um, attendees at those, and of course you know it varies depending on on the topic. But there was a number of topics that they discussed from um, marketing strategies, bookkeeping uh, tips for people. Um, you know, dealing with challenging times, uh, strategic planning and, and uh, business planning and stuff like that. Um, so clients had access to those webinars to help improve their skills and, and uh, adapt and, and uh, respond to the challenges they were facing. And then beyond that, you know, talking about uh, generally what Olmaleg does, you know, our, our kind of for our entrepreneurship team, uh, our main level of support that we that we do is to provide uh, lending and business financing um, to entrepreneurs that, that need it, right? So we have our, our loan program uh, that people can come and apply for. Um, those are, you know, standard loan programs where we, you know, assess the viability of, of a project and determine kind of whether or not it meets the investment criteria. Um, and then we also deliver the Aboriginal Business Financing Program, which is a non-repayable contribution program. That program is a needs-based funding program. It, it again, you know, uh, will invest in projects that are deemed eligible. So there are certain categories and certain costs that are deemed eligible under that program. Um, it is a needs-based funding program. So we, we look at the, the business opportunity. It must be a viable opportunity. And then that program is kind of like a gap filler. So it's there to reduce the overall risk in a project so that a lender is uh, more willing to provide the debt financing that the project needs in order to move forward. On a broader scope of things, uh, Olmaleg has a number of other wings or arms. Um, some people may have been aware um, Olmaleg delivers the Digital Mi'kmaq program, um, which is a, a, a STEM-based uh, educational program. Through that initiative, uh, early on in COVID, we were uh, able to receive Health Canada approval to use our 3D printers to make uh, face shields, um, and so like the frames for the face shields and then attach the, the plastic shield around it. Um, so uh, the Digital Mi'kmaq team took the time to set up all of their 3D printers. We ordered some new 3D printers, and uh, we used kind of open source data for the, the design of the, the shield, and then we started printing them and then sending that uh, PPE out to First Nations communities across Atlantic Canada. On top of that, Olmaleg does have a uh, charitable foundation, um, and through that we've partnered with a number of um, uh, charitable organizations and, and uh, other foundations 
um, to enable First Nations communities to gain access to uh, strategic dollars to support communities. So there was there was some emergency response money that went in, and, and a number of communities used that money for various programming. Um, I know that there's a couple of like food banks and stuff like that 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 use that money. Um, some communities use some of that money to to provide, um, I believe, like uh, gift cards to uh, grocery stores and stuff like that, so that communities um, and families would have access to to um, food and and other necessary items during the challenging times that we face. Um, so those are a lot of the things that we kind of have done and then kind of, I guess, pivoting into some of the things that we're looking at doing. Um, we, we are working with NACA, our national association, on uh, an Indigenous women's entrepreneurship program, which will focus, obviously, specifically on Indigenous women. Um, and, and along with that, there's going to be the creation of a microloan program. Um, and then there's going to be the delivery of, of some entrepreneurship training workshops. So Olmeleg will be a partner in that, and we're planning to deliver about three workshops right now across the Atlantic region. Um, and, and, you know, those, those will hopefully help uh, increase and, and develop the, the skills and capacity uh, within Indigenous entrepreneurs across the Atlantic region. So if I'm an Indigenous entrepreneur looking for Indigenous funding opportunities and I Google search, Olmeleg will come up for all of these different national um, opportunities. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so I mean, I mean, I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there around what is actually available to entrepreneurs when they're doing stuff. You know, there are routinely very specific um, funding programs that pop up um, that kind of are almost like little niche programs that various levels of government are providing. Um, to try and bolster investment in certain sectors. Um, beyond kind of what I've mentioned that with our Aboriginal Business Financing Program, a lot of people know it as a ABC or Aboriginal Business Canada still. You know, that program is a very generic investment program that has the ability to provide some non-repayable funding. Um, and then, like, a, uh, beyond that, there's no other real specific Indigenous-focused um, Funding programs that exist, uh, any any other ones that exist, there 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 are at times some indigenous components to ones, but they're usually delivered directly through either federal or provincial departments. Um, so so a lot of people would have to kind of get on on the web and do some searching to kind of source those out and find find those and see if they they fit within kind of whatever their business opportunity is. Umaleg tries to stay as comprised uh, and up-to-date on as much of that information as possible. Um, we don't always have the information. We don't always have the co connection to the, the department that, that is delivering it because things do change relatively quickly at times. Um, but we generally stay up-to-date. So, you know, we always – the reason why Umaleg will pop up kind of as your first point of contact is because it is what we focus on, Indigenous entrepreneurship. So. Um, it's a good place for people to start, whether they want to deal with us or not. It's a, you know, we're here to support indigenous businesses. Um, you know, people can come to us and we'll provide them the same level of advice and support to, to move their business forward, whether they, they choose to, 
to take financing from us or they choose to take it from elsewhere. That's not our, our goal and mandate as, an, as a, we are a not-for-profit organization. So our, our goal and mandate is just to provide whatever level of support we can to increase and encourage um, Indigenous entrepreneurship. When it comes to grant funding, what does Olnuig provide in terms of services for new entrepreneurs, like marketing plans, business plans, things like that? So there is, and I'll just kind of correct the, the, the lingo a little bit. So a lot of people say grant funding, when in, in most cases it's actually non-repayable contribution funding, and the distinction between the two is, is important at times. So that's the only reason I, I kind of just want to talk about that a little bit is that generally a grant is when you're kind of just given the money to use and there's no kind of conditions attached to it. And non-repayable uh, contribution funding is when there are conditions, monitoring clauses and, and other outcomes that are monitored. Um, and that's typically the type of funding that is provided to businesses um, because whoever's investing it, whether it be Olmoleg or another uh, institution or organization, um, they'll have some, some level of scrutiny after the fact that they have to uh, adhere to. Um, but generally speaking, um, things that you're talking about, business planning, marketing planning, are all types of, of um, uh, costs that would, would or could be eligible under the Aboriginal Business Financing Program that we deliver. Um, again, you know, I want to preface that with saying that we, we have to review the overall project. We don't just do business plans for people. We have to look at the entire scope of the project to ensure that there's a reasonable chance of the project moving forward before we would invest in a business plan because a business plan won't help a person if they don't have the ability to access the other funding they need to start the actual business attached to that plan. Um, and then and, and doing business planning as well, there are no programs um, out there that provide 100% funding for, for anything. So there is still always a cost to the, to the client. So whenever... Uh, uh, potential entrepreneurs looking to get into business, there's always going to be an investment that they need to make um, kind of at each stage along the way. So they should fully plan out their, their project and their opportunity, roughly cost it out. And then, you know, a, a, the rule of thumb that everyone uses is a minimum of 10% equity into a project. So they should get an idea of what their project's going to cost, figure out what that 10% amount is, and then that's when the struggle really begins um, for a lot of people, and, and we've seen it in survey after survey, and we experience it with lots of clients that come into us, that trying to access that equity is the hardest component of trying to get a business started. Now, we, we do try to, to work with clients as best we can, but, you know, of course, all the programs that we deliver, you know, have clauses and conditions attached to them. Um, and many of these programs that we deliver are, you know, we are delivering them on behalf of the federal government, effectively. So, you know, we are we are handicapped by our arrangements that we're we're involved with as well. So, um, these are things that we continue to see as as challenges and things that we continue to try and find ways around. Um, and, you know, I'll go back to the Indigenous Women Entrepreneurship kind of program that we're working on on a national level and the micro-loan program that's there, I believe that there's going to try to be some, some flexibility in that type of program. So, you know, it's easier when we're creating new programs to try and um, solve these challenges 
but some of the long-standing programs that we're delivering, those are inherently built within them. I'm sorry I didn't include this question. I just thought of it. Um, cannabis businesses are, are popping up in First Nation communities everywhere right now. What's the funding situation for them, and how can they get funding? Yeah, so that's a good question, and, and we receive those types of things, those types of questions. So, you know, I, I'll, you know, tie that even broader than cannabis. So whenever we look at investing in a project, we have to look at the, the investment risk that's attached to it. So currently, we look at what regulations exist provincially and federally. Now, we don't want we don't get into the whole kind of on reserve off reserve argument. We just look at for the health and safety for current uh, operating practices within an industry what would be required. So, if we were specifically look at cannabis dispensaries that are happening right now across the region, we would not invest in those. And the reason we would not invest in those is because currently, and all provinces are different. We would want any business to follow. Uh, existing provincial or federal regulations. And say in Nova Scotia, as an example, which is the province I'm most familiar with because it's where I'm from, you can't have a retail dispensary without a provincial retailer's permit. And those are only issued currently to NSLC. So the, the, the product that's being offered there cannot be purchased from a federally regulated um, production facility. So there's a lot of challenges for the whole supply chain from top to bottom. So the investment risk that would go along with that is, is currently too great for us to, to put into a project like that. We would need there to be more clarification around the legal stature of those businesses so that we could be more comfortable in putting our investment at risk. Okay, great, because I'm sure that many people in the communities um, were wondering that question. Yeah, absolutely. We've been asked it, an, uh, uh, you know, a number of times. Um, we've also been asked the question around moderate livelihood fishing um, a number of times. Um, so it's, you know, th those types of um, scenarios are, are a couple that are currently a challenge for us. And, and some of that has to do with some of the conditions that are in our funding arrangements. As an example, the Aboriginal Business Financing Program explicitly says in the conditions that if they want to enter into fishing, it has to be a, pro a provincially or federally issued license. So that immediately takes that off the table for moderate livelihood fishermen or fisher people um, because that condition, you know, puts us in a position where we couldn't invest those dollars into a project. Okay. Oh, yes, that makes, that makes sense. So once there are provincial and federal approved regulations for cannabis and moderate livelihood, um, then retailers and fishermen would be able to be approved for funding? So, you know, I'll separate the two industries because there's a little bit of differences between the two. So, um, on, uh, so and I'll give another example of, of kind of why we look at things in a certain way, right? So mm -hmm. we have to look at what our investment, you know, about the potential of getting our investment back, right? So I call it an investment, but say it's a loan or whatever it is. You know, we have to look at the realistic possibility of that coming back, but we also have to look at the operating structure of the business. So, as an example, we know that provincial regulations don't technically apply on reserve because it's federal jurisdiction. 
However, we want to make sure that a business is operating at the highest level of, of safety and, and cleanliness and operations and all that stuff. And that's generally done at the provincial level. So as an example, whenever we invest in a food operation, mm -hmm. even if it's on reserve, we, we require them to get a provincial uh, food establishment permit because that's the, the criteria and guidelines that lay out the cleanliness of the operation and the, the safety of, of the, how they're, they're operating and all that kind of stuff. So because we're not experts in all that stuff, but the province has a department that is, we would, we would impose that as a condition of our financing. And that's to make sure that, you know, any food that's served is done in accordance to generally accepted um, food regulations. So in the cannabis industry, it's similar, right? So the products that are being sold uh, on an NSLC um, shelf have been tested, they've been, um, you know, uh, produced in, in a manner that is deemed healthy, safe for human use and consumption. And currently in the on-reserve cannabis dispensary market, they can't access that same level. So we're unsure of where the product is coming from. So because of that unsureness of, of who's producing and what, what level of safety is in place, there's a lot of risk that's associated with the overall business model. So in terms of juris taking the jurisdiction stuff out of it, we can't be certain that the overall risk profile of the business meets what would be generally accepted in the, the common retail market space. So we have to be wary of what, how at risk is our, our investment in that project, right? Because if, if a project goes under and we can't recoup our dollars, then we lose that money for future investments in other entrepreneurs. Yes, that totally makes sense. Well, thank you so much, Matt. You have answered all my questions, plus some. I really appreciate it. It's good to know that it's not as difficult to get funding for a business as a lot of people may think. And it is more complex than just having 10% equity for a loan. So I appreciate you taking the time to explain that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's a lot more that we could talk about um, around actually starting a business. Like today, we just briefly talked about some of the different programs and supports and stuff that are available. But I mean, there's a whole another layer of work that needs to be done uh, on the entrepreneur's side to be ready to actually move forward with an opportunity. Okay, because in our report, the economic cost of COVID-19 supporting the recovery of Indigenous firms and communities, that stated that only 16% of Indigenous businesses from the Atlantic um, access the Omerig loan, and that many of the community businesses are maybe not registered or not registered with CRA, so maybe there was some apprehension in that. Yeah, so I would say on that side of things, like that wouldn't make them ineligible for the Olnaweg emergency loan that we deliver. Um, that would make them ineligible for a lot of the, the government programs. So like the Triple RF, the regional, Re uh, regional Relief Recovery Fund that was being administered through the CBDC network, the Community Business Development Corporation network, on behalf of ACOA, um, the Atlantic Canada Opportunities Agency. Sorry for all the acronyms. It's the world that we live in. Um, <laughs> 
and the, the SEBA that I previously mentioned, uh, those types of programs did require businesses to have financial statements and tax returns and payroll and all that kind of stuff. For Indigenous businesses to access our funding, you don't even have to have a registered business. As long as we can verify that you were actually operating a business, then you are eligible for our program. So we, as an example, so we've probably received over 60 applications for our um, emergency loan program. And we have to date approved 100% of them. We have not declined anybody for, for a loan under that program. Oh wow! That's um, great. Yeah, absolutely. Because our because we because the Aboriginal financial institution network, which is ourselves and our sister and brother organizations across the country, had direct input into that through our national association. We were able to voice the challenges and concerns that Indigenous businesses face. So we know as an AFI that a lot of Indigenous businesses don't file taxes, and many of them are operating very small on within their own home community and, and they don't, they're not actually registered business. They're just operating maybe from their home or, or from a shed or from whatever. So we were able to voice those concerns. We've owned the way provided very concrete examples of, of these types of businesses to, to NACA to feed into the process at the federal level uh, of businesses that we are dealing with that won't, wouldn't be eligible to access those other programs. Those businesses are eligible to access this program that we're delivering. Um, you know, and we just we just did a project today for for uh, an entrepreneur that isn't that's been operating a business for about 15 years, but is not registered. And that's fine as long as we can find a way to verify that they were in business prior to March 15th of 2020, then they are eligible for that on, that uh, emergency loan program. Excellent. And that program finished in September, you said, right? Nope, that program is still ongoing, and it, it is going to be ongoing until March 31st of 2021. Um, there, you know, I will say, uh, no, I think there's still quite a bit of money available in that program. Um, and that program may be getting an, an overhaul um, to, to kind of ramp it up a bit, which I can't really talk about now uh, because it's not fully official, but... Um, there may be a few changes to that that will that will improve uh, how it how it operates and, and the level of support it provides to entrepreneurs. Well, thanks so much. Looks like there's some exciting things happening in Olnawig. We look forward to the future of new opportunities for our Indigenous Atlantic entrepreneurs. Thank you, Matt Tapper. For more information on Olnawig, check out their website. Olnawag.ca and to find our latest reports go to www.apcfnc.ca Thanks for listening.